What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Premier League podcast here on FanDrag Sports. My name is Sebastian Noren. With me is Pauli Quistel and Elliot Niblock. And um, we started the, uh, you know, the call here as we do on Skype. And I couldn't, or you could hear each other. You could not hear me. I could hear you. Guess what? You can't hear the sirens? What's that? Forgot to plug the microphone in. Oh. <laughs> yep. It. It's been a long day. It's been a really long day. Yes. And I, it annoys me because I'm not going to have the, the gusto to talk about this game that I would have had yesterday or the day before. But we'll try. Of course, we're going to talk about that thrilling oh, game you, between Manchester United and Arsenal. We'll get to the rest worry, of the Premier guys, League, too. You'll rise to the occasion. Yes. And then, I don't know. Oh, Elliot, you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. I think I've got some stuff up in my up my sleeves. Yeah, we're going to talk about, of course, what happened here over the weekend in the Premier League. We're going to discuss a little bit what Mark Clattenburg said about a game two seasons ago. And then we had the World Cup group stage draw. We'll get into that as well. But first out, of course, that Manchester United-Arsenal game with United taking a 3-1 win at the Emirates. And man, what a good game this was. Yeah, it was, I mean, it obviously it's disappointing, frustrating, and we'll get into the reasons that it is that from an Arsenal perspective. But I mean, I think it's inarguably the best game of the season from a neutral point of view. Yeah, I mean, I texted, I texted you in the middle of the game. Um, I didn't think United were going to win because we'll get to that in a, in a minute. But I was like, and it's, it sucks because it's going to mar what is probably one of the best games I've ever seen. And it it was awesome. It had everything. It it had it had drama. It had shots. It had it had some nice goals. It had brilliant saves. It had more brilliant saves. It had more brilliant saves on top of that. It then had another brilliant save on the other end of the field. I mean, it had a brilliant had, double save. <laughs> it had oh, two God. brilliant double saves. I mean, I everything you could have asked for in a game, it had. Well, you could have asked for a penalty. <laughs> you could have, but that also it goes both ways. Yeah, yeah. so United came out roaring. Antonio Valencia opened up the scoring in the fourth minute, and uh, Jesse Lingard scored twice in this one, first in the 11th minute and then in the 63rd. Lacassette got Arsenal on the board in the 49th, and Paul Pogba saw red in the 74th. So there was a lot of things going on in this game. As we hear the sirens pass <laughs> by, they're back. They're back. Yep. This game, it also had a lot of misconceptions. And you said one right there in that United came out roaring because they didn't. That game was, even for the first three and a half minutes, up until Valencia's goal, it was played in the United box. And United got it out once, then they got it out twice, then they got it out a third time. And on that third time, when they got it out and down the field, they caused the turnover and... They got one chance and they buried it. And then the game went right back into United's end and they finally got it out again, caused another turnover, got another chance and buried it. Okay, they came out effective. How about that? Well, they capitalized on their chances. Yes, they yeah, surely did. The chances that were given to them in a horrifically profligate manner by an asleep Arsenal defense. Yes, please continue. Yes. We like hearing <laughs> well, this. I mean, the, so this it's so frustrating from an Arsenal point of view because they still dominated much of the game 
thereafter. But Much it, the game, it doesn't matter. The whole game from start to finish, you dominated this game. Well, except with with three glaring <laughs> omissions of that dominance, and those three glaring omissions were all turned into goals. So, it, yeah, I mean, it was it, one of those performances that is both thrilling to see and infuriating. And at the end of the game, Arsene Wenger said exactly that, that the players should be angry about the result after the performance that they put in. And you know what? From the, the perspective of players like Aaron Ramsey, Mesut Ozil, Alexander Lacazette, yeah, they can and should be angry because they pounded down the door couldn't break it down because David De Gea is apparently made of some kind of strange combination of mercury and granite. But the the defense, yeah, no, they should be totally ashamed. They have no right to be angry at anyone but themselves because... Uh, so, all right, so... Yeah, no, seen, absolutely. Right, Seven, Seb and I have seen United do this too. We've seen... Here's why you shouldn't be angry. Seven and I have seen United you know, welcome Burnley into Old Trafford, and then we didn't score because we say Tom Heaton played out of his mind, but, like, re- or, you know, really he played about a, a tenth of as well as De Gea played on Saturday. Or we've seen them get cha- – we've both seen our teams get dominated game and get chance after chance after chance and miss. You know, the only person who missed his chance in this game was Granit Xhaka. Um, like, yeah, he did, you yes. got all your chances. You didn't miss them. David De Gea just – what, like you said, like what did he do? Well, I don't, I don't even know what he did. It was unbelievable what he did. Yeah. It was by far and away the best goalkeeping performance I've ever seen. It leapfrogs in front of Tim Howard against Belgium, and between numbers one and two, it's not even close. Mm. Uh, he made, he made about seven or eight saves that are just that were just that unbelievable. And then on top of that, you still had about. How many? How many other shots? A handful. Like, yeah, like, a handful. Like five or shots. Six. So yeah, your defense played pretty bad, and United were ruthless. They they got four chances, and they finished three of them. That Peter Check made that that really nice save on on Jesse Lingard. You should have had six or seven goals, and you didn't not have them because you missed your chances. You didn't have them because David De Gea just put in a superhuman performance. Well, but this is this is what I'm saying is that the all of the Arsenal players going forward. You know, they can be frustrated, but it's the players at the back that I think should be upset with themselves, right? Because, yeah, I mean, you're right, Paulie, that against even other top flight keepers, you know, against a handful of the other best keepers in the world, Arsenal still score four goals and win this match. But I think you score four goals on any other day, even against David De Gea. Like, that, (laughs) as good. As good as I champion the guy to be, and I've always said I think he's the best goalkeeper in the world, uh, mm-hmm. parentheses, except for Kaylor Navas, if Real Madrid is listening, and parentheses, um, <laughs> on any other day, as good as Davide is, he's not making all those saves. Like, that was the best performance I've ever seen him play. Yeah, I mean, that that is one of those things that we'll look back in a couple of years, or decades even, and you're like... Oh, remember David De Gea? Yeah, you remember that game against Arsenal away? Yep, man, was he I mean, good? Yeah, that exactly. Like, when when they go to the highlight package of David De Gea after that game, I didn't expect it to be three minutes long. Like, <laughs> I didn't expect to be compiling a list of like David De Gea's ten best saves against Arsenal 
on the day, like which one, like he made this many saves, which were his 10 best. You don't expect to do that. You don't expect to say, um, like, if we made a top 10 list of his best saves at United, seven of them would have came from this game. Like, so again, so yeah, I, I totally understand why you would be frustrated because, um, and, and this goes back, this is a different topic is because I thought Jose Mourinho played this game terribly and got very lucky. You mm-hmm. should have won this game because you should have buried six or seven goals on any other on any other day. So yeah, I get yeah. why you're frustrated, but again, it's not like, oh, uh, you know, like I said, had that shot at the six yard box and somehow headed it wide. Like it's well, like yeah, they no, put the ball I, where they needed to put it. And that's what I, I mean. I think that's what Arsene Wenger was trying to speak to, right? Is that he wants his players to be angry in a self motivating way of just like we got our performance deserved a better result than that and use that as kind of a fire under your ass motivation moving forward. And while I agree with that entirely, I still think that, you know, we see these mental lapses, particularly early in matches from players like Skodron Mustafi, right? Who I, I, I hundred percent think it's, no, no, I, it's not unfair because he is, he is an important linchpin in this back three. But he should be upset with himself for how, you know, poorly he played in just giving gifting chances early in the match. You you're taking you're taking credit away from Jesse Lingard, who really did an unbelievable job on that second goal to create to create a turnover. Yeah. I I don't the first goal, Sad Kolasinic has to do better. He has to see Valencia coming. He can't just expect that ball to get to him. Valencia just jumped in between him and the ball, and then all of a sudden we're going the other way. Pogba makes the nice layup to Valencia. He buries it. That second goal, Jesse Lingard ran ragged and caused a turnover, and then and then it still came down to Mustafi played very well against Martial, who just made an unbelievable little pass to Lingard. Well, so here's the thing, though, is that I – and, you know, I don't want to take credit away from your boy, the English Park. Like, he did very well for that second goal. But at the same time – and and again, Mustafi defended well for the vast majority of the match, but all fourteen are... minutes he played. <laughs> Touche. The vast majority of the time that he was on, and because and he was on for again, fourteen minutes. Still... They yeah, I twice. know. <laughs> well, what's funny though is that also it seems like he might not actually be injured, which raises really disconcerting questions about maybe he just went off because he didn't. No, feel... that's a veteran move. Veteran move. I just got burned. Oh, I'm hurt. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. And he sold it very well by completing the sale. And going off. Veteran move by Mustafi. Great job. Bro. Oh, God. Horrific. I mean, and Wenger said afterwards, it, he has no idea what the problem was with him, which it's, it's pride. strange. Pride. <laughs> His pride. Uh, it was hurt. Well, yeah, exactly. But I mean, his, but this is what I'm saying. You're talking about anger as a motivation is the overall umbrella for this conversation. And Mustafi, yeah, your pride is hurt. How do you respond to that? The proper way to respond to that, to be a true, complete professional, is get angry with yourself. Do better next time. Yep, we'll see if Arsenal can just, do better. We'll see. We'll see. But I, we got to list. I got to list off these stats real quick before you get in another word here, Pauly. Possession, Arsenal, 75%. Shots on target, 16. Shots overall, 33. Yeah. So, right, if so there this was. actually fits right into what I'm going to say. Oh, perfect. Take it away. I don't. I don't understand. I don't understand what game every other pundit watched, as as they all say Mourinho put put on a tactical masterpiece, and <laughs> and United that, hit them. 
Whatever. <laughs> well, no, I I agree with you entirely. It's just like that that line was already printed as the headline no matter what so long as United won this away match at the Emirates. It didn't matter what. But it's just okay. like, but I mean, I'm agreeing with you is the thing is that like this, this was so so much so ridiculously overblown that no matter what happened they were going to say Jose Mourinho tactical masterclass he has Arsene Wenger's number and the like what we actually saw on the pitch is so hilariously incongruous with that exactly that it's just, it, yeah it just it speaks to the fact that like you know the these throwaway headlines are just going to be there no matter what happens and it's but then, ridiculous but then when I, the story totally starts all right so the headline's there and i agree with you no matter what had united won that's the headline i agree but then when you actually start writing the story and it's like Mourinho had his team sit back and absorb the pressure and then they hit them brilliantly on the counter no he didn't like what are you talking did you watch the game we didn't sc- we scored one goal on the counter Jesse Lingard's second goal was scored on the counter. Lingard also had the other chance where Czech made that great save. That was on the counter. The other two were not on the counter. And the only way I can really describe what Mourinho's tactics were were to put them into hockey terms. And, Seb, you'll understand this. Yes. Is, is essentially we sat back, and once we got out of the zone, we played dump and chase. Our defensemen hoofed the ball down, and everybody else went to go chase it. And we put in a forecheck. And that's what happened on that first goal. Valencia steps in on the forecheck, gets the ball. We go the other way. We score. We hoof it down the field uh, on the dump. Jesse Lingard goes after and chases it. He forechecks, causes a turnover. Boom, there's a second goal. Then on the other side, we just sit back and the entire team is back there defending. And all of a sudden, you're, you're what ended up happening because... It's not like we defended and defended and defended and Arsenal couldn't get any kind of breakthrough. How many shots did you said? How many shots did you rail off that Arsenal had? 33 attempts, 16 on target. Jeez. We relied on our goalkeeper to, to stand on his head, which works when you have Henrik Lundqvist in his prime or Morten Brodeur in his prime. That doesn't work in soccer. And yeah. part, of the reason, part of the reason for that is because he deployed a back three that included Marcos Rojo who set up so many Man, he was so he bad. Might as well have been wearing a, he might as well have been wearing a red and white shirt. Yep. I mean, someone forgot to tell him we're not wearing red today because he was he set up God only knows how many chances. And Elliot, you alluded to it earlier. Uh, we could have asked for a penalty. You could have asked for two. Both of them were from Marcos Rojo. Um, I thought the yeah. <laughs> Danny Welbeck one was very clear cut, but at that point it wouldn't have made a difference in the game. Also on the other end, um, on Martial's follow-up after – if we're going to play by the book, not that I thought this was a penalty or anything, but when Martial did follow up on Lingard's shot that Jack hit and then it hit the bar, uh, it did. Monreal came out and he cleared it and then it bounced on something and then it hit his arm, which was away from his body. So by the book, that's a handball. I'm not saying it's a penalty. I'm not saying it should have been given. But uh, definitely the Welbeck one, I think you very much have an argument. Yeah, Let's yeah. take I mean, a little break here, guys. And we'll get back to this game after these quick words. So stick around. Okay, and we're back. Yeah, there was a lot of action going on in that Arsenal-Manchester United game. And one of the bigger talking points, of course, Paul Pogba getting sent off in the 74th minute after stomping on Hector Berin. And getting a straight red three-game suspension. So, first and foremost, was it a deserved red card? I want to hear Elliot's take first. 
I, I think it's 100% the correct decision. I mean, I know that it has a significant impact on the Manchester Derby, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. But I, you know what? An analogy that I heard um, a while back from my favorite Arsenal blogger, Andrew Mangan, is that here's the thing, is that y- you say, I'm not a murderer until you murder somebody, and then you are a murderer. And now I'm going to draw one. I'm going to draw another parallel because that's obviously over the top, and I'm not calling Pogba that even a little bit, right? And I don't think that he even had a ton of malice in this, but he was late. He could have severely injured the player, and he saw red for it. Freaking Gronkowski, the tight end for the Patriots, had one of the dirtiest hits I've ever seen in their game against the Bills when the game was already won this past weekend. Just intentionally, he's frustrated, he aims, hits the player long after the play is dead, seems like he's looking to hurt him, and lo and behold, he does hurt him. Gets away with a one-game suspension subsequently, and after the game, in the post-match interview, he says, I'm not that kind of player, I don't believe in hits like this, you know what, I don't give a shit what you believe in. If that's what you do, you did it, and you see the consequences. I think Bill Parsons, you are what your record says you are. I, I think that... Yeah, <laughs> and I you did it. That, you did it, so you're the type of player that would do it. Exactly, and and the the big difference here is that in this parallel, I think that Gronkowski, you know, knew what he was doing and was being malicious and nasty and a dirty player, and he should be labeled as such. I don't think that Pogba was looking to injure an Arsenal player, but he came in late, and it was a dangerous challenge, and I don't think it's unfair that he was sent off. Okay, and Polly. <sighs> okay, now bear in mind at the time I watched the bar, I watched this in a bar filled with United fans. So obviously, everybody's going nuts, and everybody sees it one way. And then I go home. You take some time. You read about it, and I I actually watched the uh, the match of the day highlights. So I heard Arlo Whiteley Dixon, Grant so talk about it um, as it happened, and none of them were defending Pogba. And then today, Manchester United said they're not even going to appeal it. So that is what it is. I've taken a step back. I've looked at it. I've examined it. I've, I've said, all right, like, let's, let's really look. And I agree with Elliot. He was late. He could have really injured Hector Bellerin. I need someone to answer this question for me. Where was his foot supposed to go? Because Paul Pogba had the ball. Bellerin got down, the ball took a little weird ricochet, and without breaking stride, he didn't extend his stride, he didn't, he didn't try to close his stride down. Without breaking his stride, his stride landed, and Hector Bellerin, after his foot had already left the ground, got his leg down there right where Pogba's foot was going to land. So where is his foot supposed to go? And I agree with you, late... Uh, Definitely could have injured someone by the book. That's probably a red card. But where it, there has to be something to interpret that. Because yeah. where was his leg? Imagine if he just doesn't drop his leg and Pogba goes over. Bellerin's getting sent off. If Pogba, if Pogba somehow like just overextends there and like rolls his shin into Bellerin, who somehow managed to slide his leg underneath where Pogba was going to land, Bellerin gets sent off. Where well, is so, his foot supposed to land? Because that, if you watch, if you watch it, his foot's going to land right there. And what I didn't like, 
first of all, I don't like Seb saying he stomped him because he didn't stomp him. He didn't intentionally stomp him. His foot landed on him. I don't like the commentators who say he went studs up. Like, no, he didn't go studs up into somebody's shin. He didn't go studs up into <laughs> yeah, somebody's Yeah, his studs side. literally he came down. <laughs> down. He kept his studs down. He put his foot down where his foot was going to land. So, yeah, so... Yes, yes, it was dirt. Like, yes, it could have really hurt Bellerin. And yes, there's, it was late because the ball wasn't there anymore, but the ball wasn't there anymore because of the Bellerin challenge. So it's yeah. one of those things where it's it's bad luck all around. And well, here's the, what, so and like, the what thing... is supposed to happen? Where is he? Like, just answer me this: Where is he supposed to put his foot? Okay, so he can well, get, he can give up on it and just try to jump over Bellerin, basically. But he yeah. couldn't because he was already in like he was already in the act of the, his foot was already off the ground. It's not like he took an extra step. His foot was already off the ground once the ball started ricocheting. That's very yeah. difficult to all of a sudden say, "Oh, I'm going to give up and jump." Well, here's the, so th- this time I'll draw a parallel actually within the same sport. <laughs> so, and I mean the analogy that I would suggest would be when a player is rushing clean through on goal and the keeper is making an honest lunge for the ball and the player, you know, ticks the ball to the side, keeper misses the ball entirely, but he's already in the air. What is he supposed to do? Not land on the on-rushing attacker's legs? And then he does that. And it's well, he's dangerous. Already, no, he it, goes it, to the ground. He's, in that case, he's no, going to the uh, ground and he's tripping him up. No, but this is, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you a, a similar analogy in saying, the, the keeper has already lunged and has left his feet and is going to the ground. And the attacker dinks the ball over to the side, and then the keeper totally takes him out. It's a penalty. It's a red card. And you hope that he doesn't injure him. You can't say that the keeper wasn't going for the ball and trying to do his best to play the ball. But the, he, I, I you know, misjudged it. He came late. He different. hit the guy. I see it's, what you're saying. It's, but yeah, but it's similar. No, it's it's similar, but it's different because in this case, in this case, I see, I see the guy coming at me. He he loses his feet. I kick the ball around him, and then that puts the defensive player in, in a position to hurt me. In this case, it's it's Pogba didn't try to like go around Bellerin. Bellerin came on, made a challenge, and because of that, the ball took a weird deflection because the challenge was successful, and Pogba is still going for it. Because Pogba had the ball. And his foot lands. Like, where was his... By the time he took that step, he, his foot is off the ground, challenge is made. Where is... And Bellerin, who who didn't go all the way to the ground, but he stuck that one leg it's a we- on it's a It's a weird sort of attempt to break up the play. Exactly. It was... He didn't go to the ground. He didn't, like, go sliding or anything. He... He stayed on one foot and put his other foot flat on the ground right where Pogba's leg was going to come down. So, yes, everything you say, late, yes, because the ball's already gone, could have seriously hurt him, yes. But, again, that's just, you know, like, it's it's one of those plays where, like, in hockey where it's like a 50-50 play and, and you both go at it and then something happens and the guy loses his footing or something and he goes hard into the boards and it looks a lot worse. On the, It happened in a Ranger game two weeks ago. Uh, the puck was towards the corner. Both guys went to hit each other. One guy hit him a little harder. He lost his feet. He hit his head into the boards. The other guy gets thrown out of the game for what on replays showed to be a completely clean hit. It looked really bad. And and at, and the end result was dangerous. But at the at the when you looked at the replays, this was a clean hockey play. So 
this happened because of the Bellerin challenge. Just tell me, where is Pogba's foot supposed to go? Well, do you think that United should have appealed then? Because they didn't even appeal. They just accepted I, the three games. I, I do think they should have appealed. And the reason that I think, all right, I guess I'm the minority and I'm wrong is because they didn't. So I guess, uh, I guess that, that, this should, that they got the call right. Uh, it, I, I said 74 unbelievable minutes of this game. Um, we didn't even touch on the fact that I, I told you guys before the game, like I'm a big fan of Jesse Lingard in, in, in the stands, texting my friend, <laughs> if we win this game, um, it's going to be because of Jesse Lingard. 74 unbelievable minutes in the Andre Mariner came and ruined it for me because he sends Pogba off, which means he's out of the Manchester Derby. City just needs to get a point to clinch the title. And if you tell me, like, yeah, he stomped him and he could have avoided it and everything, all of that stuff rings true. Uh, and, and he should have gotten sent off. This was not malicious. I don't want to bring in the intent thing, but, like, again, there was no intent. This isn't like Coutinho, who had no attempt. He had no intent when he got sent off against Manchester City, except his foot was six feet in the air. Pog was just trying to plant his foot where he was supposed to plant his foot. So tell yeah. me. Where was he supposed to plant his foot? I, I mean, I think that if if you're... I'm, I'm going to answer your question in a slightly different way, which is to say, if you're going to ask me, do I think Pogba got really unlucky? Yeah, I think Pogba got really unlucky. But that doesn't mean that I think it's a bad call. No. No, I, I, didn't, I, I, I can see it go either way. I just... I just I, I think there needs that's the kind of thing there needs to be a gray area. Yeah. There needs to be somewhere where it's like, well, this got unfortunate and and this is just a rough play. Like it it, it happened kind of because Bellerin put himself into a situation and and it, it's a soccer play and that's just what happened. You know, it wasn't like Bellerin was on the ground and Pogba was looking at him and he took a stamp at him because he was pissed off. Yeah. It, it, it just happened. And if we're sending off Pogba for that, then maybe we should follow the book. And when uh, I think it was, I think it was Lingard. It might've been Martial. It might've been one of the other subs that came on when they get a breakaway the other way. And, and Laurent Koscielny pulls him down as the last man. You should be sent off too, because that's by the book. You're the last man. You just did not a clear goal. It was actually Lukaku. I think you just did not a clear goal scoring opportunity. Where's the red card for that? Well, there the question is, you know, Bellerin is tracking back and it's a clear goal-scoring po- opportunity when it's, what, 40 yards out? Mm, yeah, uh, I think clear goal-scoring opportunity, but you're still the last man. At the time, he yeah. was the last man. I mean, I, I'll tell, I'll tell you what. I will, I will say that if, if he had been shown red for that, I would have been frustrated and disappointed, but not you know, furious at the decision. And, and, but and, in general, Andre Mariner was terrible. Like, we can still agree on that. Like, yes, I mean, I, this was, as that play happened, I just sat there being like, I was I was infuriated that Pogba got shown red and then Laurent Koscielny escapes with a yellow after tackling a guy on a breakaway. But, you know, this is like what, I don't want to go that dark, but it was just like, you know, a Koscielny red, red card isn't bringing Pogba back. No, no, that's yes. Yeah, it is unfortunate that he will miss out on the Manchester Derby this coming weekend. He will, however, be able to play tomorrow when United take on Sheshgal Moscow in the Champions League. 
And we'll talk about the Champions League in a little bit. But first, here's another tiny little break. And we'll be right back. Okay, so looking at the table at the top, Manchester City sitting pretty after their 2-1 win over West Ham. They have an eight-point lead still over Manchester United, although only 2-1 against West Ham at home. And prior to that, they had 2-1 at home also against Southampton. So are we seeing City maybe tiring a little bit here? Or am I just trying to find something positive in this? Because they still won. Yeah, I think you are trying to find something positive in this. I think, I think we all are. Come on, give I, me I a think, title race. I mean, I think they're, I think they're a little bit, they are a little bit tired. Uh, it's winter. This happens every year with City. It's, it's taken a little bit longer, and this time instead of, it, you know, like we dealt with this last year, and didn't, and wasn't it two years ago where from like October until mid-April they didn't win two in a row? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, City are like Arsenal. When the weather gets cold, they, they, they stop playing their best. But, I mean, we're, we're grasping at straws here. They did. They did win against Southampton in the 96th minute. And uh, when I got to the bar on Saturday before the game, there were these two fans talking about, "Oh, maybe they should just make the rule that like City play until they win. That should be the amount of injury time until City wins." And I went, "What's that saying about people in glass houses and throwing stones?" Because <laughs> we played under those rules for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like what goes around comes around. Um, yeah, I, it, it, someone said it on Twitter, like, oh, it looks like the team that lost 4-0 and gave up halfway through the game is looking a lot fresher than the team that won 2-1 in the 96th minute and had to go for it and had to exert all their effort all game. It makes sense. Uh, do I think it's going to trip them up? No, because you know, you know how I feel about Christmas, and they're eight points clear of United right now. They play United on Sunday. Uh yeah, on Sunday. Yes. Pep doesn't lose to Mourinho. Especially you know, on Sundays. Have, so they have that going for them. Um, and then United don't have Pogba. Nemanja Matic needed to come off against Arsenal after like 55 minutes. He was dead. And they had to leave him on for the full 90. I don't know what they're going to get out of him. He's I mean, I'm, I'm hoping there. he's in like one of those cryo state chambers right now. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> you know? He's certainly not fit. Uh, I don't know what – all right, Fellaini – I don't think Fellaini helps in this game. I'm sure if he's fit, he'll play. Ugh. But, like, who else plays in the midfield? I don't know what Mourinho's going to do up top. Lukaku is a shell of himself. So, no, I'm not confident that United, without their best player, the one who makes every single other player on the team better, I'm not confident that the manager who can never beat the other manager is going to get a win. And – you know how I feel about Christmas. If City get a point in this game, they retain their eight-point lead. And with only two games left until Christmas, boom, there's your title. Yeah, I mean, United, they have to win this game if there's going to be any hope of a title race. It's just Yeah, and I, I just don't see how they do it. Yeah, it, it's going to be really, really tough. You have to you have to think that Marcos Rowe is going to play a role in this game. And again... Oh, uh, he's so he bad. Could, he could not have been worse against... <laughs> against Basel. He could not have been worse against Arsenal, and he could have not have been worse than the little cameo he played the week before that. So, do... I mean, we never wish injury upon players. We've said that many times before. 
But I've said that many times. It's just like we don't cry when Fellaini and Marcos are all get hurt. Yeah, what happens if he plays tomorrow against Moscow and just happen to take the wrong step? Hmm, hmm, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, one team that's definitely not in the title race, though, that's Spurs. 1-1 draw away to Watford. And they're down in sixth place now. 25 points. Only four points off a top four spot, but I think they can kiss top three. Bye-bye. Yeah, but does that matter? Uh, finishing fourth or third? No. Or yeah. second? No, for that. not anymore. Because no. no. fourth automatically qualifies for the Champions League now. Least too. That's boring. Yeah. So you just need you need top four. I the the issue is is their form, and let's I I want to get Elliot's take on this because we discussed this last show and how they just, they can't seem to do anything without Toby Elder railed. No. Yeah. I mean he's the. Uh, uh, a key for them, and honestly, coming into this year, I would have thought that he and Vertonghen were about of equal value, right? But I think that we're seeing who the most valuable player of those two is via his absence. Yeah, yeah. this is what we discussed on the last show. Is literally when you use that term, most valuable player, like Toby Alderweireld is the most valuable player. Like I said last time, he is the most valuable player in the league. The same way that Aaron Rodgers is the NFL MVP, because when you take him out of the Packers, they are absolute garbage. Yeah, and it doesn't help that Davison Sanchez got sent off with a straight. Oh yeah, red. that's going to be a huge issue for them in their next game. Yeah, so, so who's who's going to play in central of defense? It'll be it'll be um, Vertonghen and Dyer. They're going to have to play back four. Mm. Yeah, Dyer can always step down, I guess. Well, yeah. Dyer's been playing in the back three right now. Yep. Yep, yep. Yeah. Well, I, I look forward. They're playing Stoke, so I look forward to all of us picking Stoke to win. Ooh. And then Tottenham actually getting a win. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, let's get over to that Champions League action. Or do we want to talk Big Sam first? He's winning. Okay, He's winning. winning. Let's do Big He's doing Sam big then. Sam thing. Two oh, nothing God. for Everton against Huddersfield. Gilfie Sigurdsson and Dominic Calvert Lewin with the goals. So. I mean, look at- was that Big Gil- Sam comes in. Big Sam comes in. You get a Rooney Attrick. All of a sudden, Gilby Sigurdsson remembers to play. Yeah, it was remembers how to play. Second and goal of the season. Stars, your young stars, right back on the score sheet, and Rooney with the assist. I mean, yeah, new manager Big- effect. Yeah, but Big That's Sam and Rooney still one hundred percent record. Yeah, and now Everton up to tenth. So, a lot- Jeez, they jump that high. Oh already? yeah. Oh yeah. A lot can change oh here. Since what is the bottom so, of the table doing right now? Like one win puts you out of the relegation zone. Yeah. I mean, looking at it though, Everton in 10th, 18 points. West Brom in 17th, 13 points. So, I mean, Crystal Palace, they're no longer in the bottom. That's Swansea now. Crystal's pa- Crystal Palace up to 18th place after getting a scoreless draw against West Brom. They're only three points behind West Brom. Yeah, it's also so painfully Palace to climb out of bottom of the table with a scoreless draw. Yep. I mean, that just shows how, you know, how bad the teams at the bottom have been as far as, you know, getting any type of results. So, yeah, you get two draws in a row and you're you're starting to climb. And that's what that's what they did and Hey, guess what? I called that one. Scoreless draw. Yes. Boring game, but got uh, which the points. Game? The scoreless draw between Palace and West Brom. That was one game where we all did, went our separate ways. So Yeah. Or you no. Picked, no. You picked 1-0 West Brom. Damn it. Elliot. I'm looking at Elliot. 
Elliot picked nil nil, and you're the one that wrote these in. No. I was and so Elliot happy for a moment Elliot, there. Well, to be fair, you both killed me. You both killed me with your actual hitting a lot of predictions. Yeah, that's I true. Actually had a, I had a decent week, and you both made it look bad. Yeah, I had a two. We both had two nothing Everton. You and me, Polly. Then I had one one between Watford and and Spurs. Huh? 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 And then I had also had a one-one between Bournemouth and Southampton. I was, I, I was, I was so happy there. I was like, "Yeah, I predicted that one." Nope, I had one nothing West Brom. <laughs> never mind, never mind. Okay, let's move over to the Champions League. Like I said, it's been a long day. It's been a long, long day. <laughs> uh, Group A: Manchester United. They take on Moscow here tomorrow. They need one point to uh, secure the group win. Polly, how confident are you playing? At home against Moscow, I'm really confident in which, like, that they should get the job done, and that's why I'm like, let's not try too hard to get this job done. Yeah, like, let's look at the squad. <laughs> know, know that we need we need to do something against City, um, and I I understand he can't play the full ninety minutes, but this is the game where I would say let's start let's start slots on. Mm. Like, let's let's put Lukaku on the bench. Um, um. I'm a little upset that Rashford even played against Arsenal. Uh, I understand why it happened, but, uh, you know, obviously Jesse Lingard's going to... No, I don't even... In fact, Jesse Lingard probably shouldn't even play this game because I want him on the field against City. Not because I am I think he's, like, all of a sudden found his offense, but because he's the kind of player that you kind of need in this in this game to, like, I, maybe sh- maybe just go wherever Kevin DeBrenner goes. Yes. Something. Deuce, he, there's a reason that I kept saying English G Sung Park, and like we, this wasn't the first weekend I've said it. We've discussed it on the show before. He plays that G Sung Park role, steps in in the cup games, can play a role in a big game when you need him to. Uh, we're gonna need him against City. Obviously, you start Pogba in this game because he can't play against um, against City. Yeah, you play him the full ninety. That's for sure. Right. You don't. I. I wouldn't play Matic. Um, I wouldn't play Montage. No. I would I'd probably play Martial. Martial next is Laton. I I would I I say you play McTominay. Yes. He did very well in the game that he played. Um and then like maybe do you go back four so you can leave Marcos Rojo out? Like but Yeah, I guess you do. And then maybe Daily Blind on the left? Mm. Darmian, something. I mean, I just I don't want Marcus Rowe in there. But if it means if Marcus Rowe can only play two games next week, then yeah, put him in there. I just I think we could throw out there, not our best eleven, but like, you know, enough to get a draw at least. Yeah. Also, throw Henrik like bring Henrik Mkhitaryan back into the team and let him play. Yeah. Why not? Why not? The other game in Group A. Wait, that... Why not? He's yeah. a talented player, and he he'll get you enough to beat CSKA Moscow, and then you win the group, and you, that's all you need. Yeah. I mean, it's CSK Moscow at home. Like, this shouldn't be difficult. I don't even think they're still in season. Let's see. They, they got that weird schedule. I think they are in season, and then they take that giant winter break. Uh, let's see. Yeah, they thrashed FK Tosno 6 nothing in their last game. And then they have a derby of their own against Spartak Moscow coming up this weekend. A lot of derbies this weekend. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, we'll see if United can do enough there. The other game in that group, Benfica against Basel. Benfica still on zero points. So they would at least hope to get a point before this is all said and done. Uh, right now, Basel in second, Moscow in third. So 
see what happens there. In Group B, PSG and Bayern Munich, they're already through. Um, they play each other, whatever. And yeah, Bayern really. has a chance to overtake them, though. Uh, no. Do they? No. I don't know. All I, want, all I want right now is for Bayern to finish second so that Spurs can draw them and then beat them and then really rub that in Arsenal's faces. Mm. Yep. Then Group C, Chelsea against... Not even a chuckle there, Elliot? (laughs) Sorry, I I, uh, was typing, so I muted my microphone so you didn't hear me scoff initially, but I gave you a second scoff there just to to satisfy your chuckle desire. There you go, second scoff. Chelsea takes on Atletico Madrid at home. Chelsea already through. Atletico, they need to win this. This It's a little bit of a late... A late comeback, but I'm surprised Elliot's mute button is strong enough to contain the viciousness of his typing. Of <laughs> my typing? <laughs> oof, oof. Uh, yes. Yeah. Maybe okay. that's how I broke my computer charger today. I typed too hard. Typed too hard. Okay, Atletico, they need to beat Chelsea to have any chance of going through to the next round, and they also need some help from Quarabag, who play on the they road against like, Roma. They haven't like, won a game, and if they have won a game, it was the one week I didn't bet on them. They've won one game, yes. Yeah, that was the one time I didn't bet on Atletico in the Champions League. <laughs> Every week I look at the slate and I'm like, oh, Atletico, you'll get up like a 1-0 win here, and they don't. Yeah, they got a 2 nothing win against Roma, I want to say. Maybe. Uh, let's see here. Group D. They got to win somewhere. Yeah. It's not important. No. Group D, Barcelona. They take on Sporting Club de Portugal. Barcelona already through. Juventus play on the road against Olympiacos. So Sporting love, Sporting I needs a how, win. I love how UEFA has to like refer to all the teams by like their the most official of official names. Yes. Like they're playing Lisbon. Ah. <laughs> the Sporting Club de Portugal. <laughs> they're not playing FC Internacional. Yo Internacional. <laughs> and they're going oh Inter, they're roaring in Serie A right now so we might see them in the Champions League next season that would be nice then Wednesday Group E we got Enke Maribor Sevilla we got Liverpool Spartak Moscow Liverpool they need a point to secure a spot in the next round if they win they win the group they need a not defensive breakdown to secure some confidence amongst their fans yes pretty much Group F, Manchester City already through. So um, I don't know what kind of team they're going to put up on the road against Chaktar Donetsk. I mean, here, uh, you, here you should really just rotate the whole team. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, this is like a youth player's dream. Yes. Is, I get well, to... maybe not necessarily the venue, you know, right? They're, maybe they're... They're dreaming of playing against Spurs at Wembley, so they yeah, get yeah, to but I, I mean, they they, they get to play in a Champions League game. They get to go yeah. out. I mean, hope you know, maybe he'll put a couple of them in the starting eleven, even, and they get to oh, you know, absolutely line sure. up and Why, hear the no anthem and all to. that stuff. No, I mean, you should when you have when you've secured qualification, at least if not first place finish, you should treat group stage games as though it is a continental league cup right like you rotate the squad heavily 
you give kids a chance to shine, you hope you win, and if you don't, you kind of shrug your shoulders and look elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, no, this should be a good learning, learning, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Experience. Experience. There we go. Long Boy, day. you have had a long day, haven't oh, you, yeah. Seb? Yep, yeah. <laughs> Stella woke up at 4.45 this morning and thought it was time to jump on daddy. Yeah. So, uh, that was... It's been a long day. Uh, it's bad, though, for Napoli. They sit in third. They need a win against Feyenoord, and they also need Chuktar to lose. So, yeah, we could see Napoli go to the Europa League. Group G, Besiktas, they've already secured a spot in the next round. So, um, they'll probably take things a little bit easy as they go to or be Leipzig on the road there. Uh, the other game in that group is Porto against Monaco. Porto sitting in second right now, Leipzig in third. They're both on seven points. Monaco already eliminated. And then we get to Group G, where Spurs and Real Madrid are already through. And, um, yeah, Spurs play at home to well, and Real play to at home against Borussia Dortmund. With that, we're going to take our last break. When we come back, it's Mark Kladenberg time. And then we got to talk about those World Cup group stage draw. So uh, stick around, and we'll be right back. Okay, so final segment here of the show today, and uh, Mark Clattenberg told uh, Sky Sports News. He told the Men and Blazers. Everything came in the Men and Blazers interview. Yes, but he also talked to Sky Sports News. Um, okay. That his, um, I don't know how it's getting taken, but he defends his comments that he made on the Men and Blazers show about how he officiated the game between Chelsea and Spurs in 2016 and um, how, you know, some things were taken out of context. I don't know how it was taken out of context. Well, every quote, what, what he came out essentially and said, I let Spurs self-destruct. Yes. And that right there is, so right there I just took it out of context. If that's yeah. the quote that you're going to, to quote, then yeah, it's going to be taken out of context. What he meant was, he he, he came in there and he, and he spoke about it. So I listened to the podcast and how he went in there with a with a game plan for um, he came in there with a game plan for the game, which he does for all of his games. I've heard him enough now on he's been on NBC, you know, and throughout the other games that he spoke about on the Men and Blazers podcast. This is a guy, he, he knows what he's doing when he goes into a game. And he came in with a game plan. He, he really didn't want to get in the way of this one. And he, and he didn't want to send any Spurs players off um, because he didn't want the story to be Spurs lost because I sent off Deli Ali and that cost them the title. Yeah. And Spurs fans were ecstatic. Like, they were... You know, they were up in arms about this because they were like, well, he's forgetting the fact that he could have sent three Chelsea players off. And it's like, yeah, he could have. But, you know, what if he sends off Chelsea's players 7, 8, and 10, and he sends Spurs players 2, 3, 4 off? Like, you know, if he would have sent Chelsea players off, he would have been sending Spurs players off too. Should he have maybe taken a stand earlier in the match? Maybe. Um you know, maybe maybe he did need to send somebody off, and maybe that was a mistake. He didn't want to be the story. Uh, there was suspend. There were later suspensions handled down, but ultimately, like I have no problem with what he said. Is is he just he said like I'm 
I sat back and, you know, I Chelsea, a Spurs player did something nasty and I, I, I booked him and then a Chelsea player did something nasty and I booked him and I just, I sat back and let it happen and Spurs lost their cool. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, I, no, I, don't I mean, it's really funny because see anything wrong with that. No, not at all. And and this is uh, obviously my subject position is such that a lot of Spurs fans will be quick to be like, oh, well, you like Arsenal, so you're happy to see that. But the the clickbaity headlines, we were talking before we recorded the way that a lot of soccer journalism is just kind of BS. And we were talking when we were recording about how a lot of these headlines are kind of just like pre-template, stamped, signed, sealed, all but delivered, and then when they're delivered, it turns out that they're kind of garbage. And this is one of those where, like, when you put it up in lights and he says, I let, I like, allowed Spurs to self-destruct, it seems horrible, and it gets a lot of clicks, and it drums up a lot of frustration among Spurs fans, it drums up a lot of, you know, animosity among Arsenal fans, but when you actually read the full transcript of what he said, he's saying, you know, as you pointed out, Paulie, like I came in knowing the potential this game had being determined not to basically putting my stamp on the game by not being the center of attention and not putting my stamp on the game. Mm-hmm. And yeah, is, maybe he from did a allow neutral's play perspective. Check, everybody's but... like, that's so not Clattenburg. Like, this is what we want you to do. More. I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I want you to be the show of this game, you know, like, but it's, it's yeah, but it's like the I, one I, time I, he I decided it. not to be it. I yeah. get it. I see it. Like, you know, I, uh, like, you know, I play, I play men's league hockey. And like, you know, we have 10 45 PM games and we always go into those games kind of knowing like, Oh, the refs aren't going to call much because they want to go home. And sometimes it works. Like, we know it. You know, they don't want to call penalties and, and stuff and be bothered by it. Sometimes it works. And then sometimes it's like, oh, a guy kind of threw a kind of cheap hit and the ref didn't call it. And that leads to retaliation. And then that leads to retaliation. All of a sudden, now everybody's getting penalties because the refs let it get out of hand. So, you know, the strategy works sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. And it's very easy to say in this one. It didn't work. Um, okay, so I got I got to ask you one thing real quick here. Do you get a five minute major for fighting in your men's league, or do you get thrown out of the game? You get a five minute major, and you get a game misconduct, oh. um, which is a one game suspension. Or if if the refs are feeling nice, you get a game ejection, which doesn't come with a suspension. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but yeah, it's it's just it's one of the the strategy in this game. It backfired. You know, he let them he let them keep playing and like he said, he let Spurs self destruct and that's why it got as bad as it got. Should he have been sending should he have sent people off earlier? Yes. Should three Chelsea players have gotten sent off? Probably. But the reality is Spurs players should have gotten sent off first. So I don't know what they're complaining about. What I do say is they they did also ask him um, about why he chose to leave the Premier League and you'll never guess who was the man that pushed him over the edge? Who was the man that pushed him over the edge? I'll give you a hint. I don't like the guy. <laughs> that is that could be anyone. Jose Mourinho. Okay, there we go. As he said, he said, you know, he said, I did the game against Stoke, and he goes, he goes, refing a game in Stoke sucks because it is cold, and you know, he said, whenever you do Manchester United, it's even harder, and he goes, I had. A really good game you know like i felt like i had a really good game objectively i had a really good game and i felt and i actually felt good when i left the game and then jose Mourinho, um 
came into my dressing room after the game and scolded me for not giving a penalty on what he thought was a handball in the box earlier in the game. And he goes, I saw it so clearly. I saw it hit off his chest. The replays all showed that it hit off his chest. And it was just like, I'm getting, he's like, I felt really good. You know, I got, I did well in this game. And then all of a sudden I'm getting scolded by Mourinho. And he was just like, I don't want to put up with this shit anymore. Yeah. So he moved to what Dubai or something and earns all the he's money. He's now in Saudi Arabia. He's, yeah. he's like the head of officiating in Saudi Arabia. There you but go. He still gets to referee games. Yeah, plenty warm there. Speaking of Saudi and Arabia, also, the last, the last yes. thing before we get there, he also I did not know this, but part of the reason that he moved was because he remember we joked about it. He did the Champions League final and then he did the uh, the final of the Euros in the same year and he got those tattoos. But he said, once you do one of those finals, you can't do them again. So he said, the only thing left to do would be maybe the World Cup final. And he was like, but that's in two years. So he's out. Yep. So I thought that that's also interesting. Like, you know, he kind of achieved everything he could as a referee. That's true. Yep. Speaking of Saudi Arabia, though, let's go over to the World Cup group stage draw taking place here the other day. And... Saudi Arabia, they were drawn in Group A along with host Russia. And then they also got Uruguay and Egypt. Uh, group B, we saw Portugal, Spain. Oh, that's a nice little matchup. Iran and Morocco. Group C. We the got... group suck. I mean, are we going to go through them all? They all suck. I mean, we're going to go through them and then we'll get your suckiness out of the way. Uh, France, Group C, Peru, Denmark, Australia. Group D, Argentina, Croatia, Iceland, Nigeria. I think that can be a pretty interesting group. Group E, Brazil, Switzerland, Costa Rica, Serbia. Group F, Germany, Mexico, Sweden, and South Korea. Group G, Belgium, England, Tunisia, Panama. Group H, Poland, Colombia, Senegal, and Japan. So, um, do we think? Do we think that the new way that they did it made it better? No. Yeah. No, I I agree with you. I mean, there there's no real. I mean, this was. I was perusing on Facebook before, and I saw Fox Sports touting Group F as the group of death. With uh, it's the hardest group. With that's also because Fox Sports. And ESPN did the same thing when they were covering the World Cup. So I can't go all in on Fox Sports here. Is ESPN immediately went, went at the 2014, which is the group of death. Like, there isn't necessarily a group of death. Um, no. It, but, like, but that is a common talking point now that they can sell to their, like, average fans who will recognize it. Yeah. So Fox There's... obviously needs to Yeah, and they, say, they play up the Mexico angle now, too. Well, you're right. So Fox obviously needs to say there's a group of death, which I think Sweden is in the hardest group where there are three teams that can get out of it. Sweden is traveling further than any other team in the country in the tournament, though, which is definitely going to play a thing uh, an issue into it. And I would love, I would love for Sweden to advance out of this group, not because of you or Zlatan or anything. I apologize for that. It's not personal. That's fine. I would love for Mexico to go into Germany's group and not advance. Uh, that's because the United States went into Germany's group and we did advance. Advance, yeah. yeah. I so, mean, I would. Other, otherwise, these groups suck. They're amazing. Oh come on! I love the group of Gibraltar. The group of Gibraltar. Oh yeah, Portugal, that's a good Spain, group. Morocco. That's great. That's a good group. I don't know. Group D: uh, Argentina, Croatia, Iceland, Nigeria. That's a pretty good one. 
It's a pretty good one yeah. in that it gives t- so all right. So it's definitely the fairer way to do it. All right, like in terms of it, it's fair. Like you don't get you know when you when you do it by geography, you can essentially get you know the best team in Europe, the best team in South America. Well, no, because then they would both be seeded, but. Uh, like you can get the best team in, in South America, one of the top teams in Europe, another one of the top teams in Europe and like the top team in Africa or the top team or, or the U S or Mexico, you know, you can, you can get a group that has four top teams in it. The same, the the same way that the U S the group that the U S was drawn into in, in 2014, you had the top team in, or the number two team in, in Europe, you had Portugal who were number four in the world, but, weren't that high and somehow we're in pot two um or we're just in the european pot you had one of the top two teams in north america and then you had probably one of the best teams in africa and all of them good enough to advance yeah you don't have that when you do the pot one two three four and i it from a fair point of view yes but that's what the champions league went to and the champions league group stage is miserable now i mean so, that that group a is incredibly boring but also it also so it comes down to two things one is as we have previously discussed like 14 of the 32 teams in the world cup are pretty garbage you know like you can get through qualify the the way world cup qualifying is set up no matter pretty much no matter what region you're in besides europe is you can get through it by like not losing to the other good teams and just beating bad teams. Yeah. And I think that's how most of Africa and Asia got through. But I mean, I that's think it was certainly th- how North America got. Yeah. Through. I think it was funny too though cuz I mean, I couldn't help myself from reading some of the comments on that Fox Sports uh Facebook post. And the Mexican fans are confident. I'll give them that. But I mean, they're in for a rude awakening when they take on Germany in the first game. Yes, but Mexico is good right now. They are good. They're. I, I still don't see them going coming out of this group though. Yeah, well, that's because you see Sweden doing it, and I would love for Sweden to do it. I, would... I think Mexico are better. Than, I think we. Yeah. I think we as the United States underrate Mexico because we always put them on par with us, and right now we suck. Well, yeah. And we did just but, go to – well, we suck, and what did we do in June? We went to Mexico, and we, we got a 1-1 draw. So we always we always compare – like, we always expect the finals of North American tournaments to be the U.S. and Mexico, and then it'll be a, a winner-take-all, and who knows. But frankly, like, we haven't beaten Mexico in a competitive match since 2013. We haven't beaten them in a competitive match that wasn't a World Cup qualifier since 2007. So – you know, we 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 certainly underrate Mexico. Who they do? They have their they have their moments. You know, they couldn't they couldn't get through qualifying four years ago, and then they did, and they went to the round of sixteen. And then a year later, they won the Gold Cup. They smacked our ass in the Concacaf Cup. A year later, they get destroyed by Chile. So they are an up and down team. But the bottom line is, they are better than us, and they are good. There is a reason that they get out of their group every year. Yes. So. There's that, but it's it's every other group. It's it's most groups. It's it's like you have two teams that look like they're gonna get out of the group. I understand. I've heard a lot of uh, don't sleep on Tunisia, and Tunisia can be pretty exciting. I don't know if that's because Tunisia is actually good, 
and can actually be pretty exciting or if they're in the same group as England and people are just trying to come up with reasons why England are going to muck this up. Mm, Because either one of those is on the table. That's true. Um, That's true. And I mean, I I can't... I haven't really followed too much of the Asian qualifiers. I don't really know what kind of state Japan is or South Korea. But uh, I believe the group Japan is is that someone said like all four teams in that group can actually get out of the group. Yeah. But again, it's like all right, all four teams can get out, but none of them can make a run in the tournament. No. It, 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 the question, so it it comes down to like, are you trying to set this tournament up for for fairness, or are you trying to set this tournament up for like? TV and matchups, and that's a genuine question. Like, especially when it comes to FIFA, like this is an event that you will once every four years. You are trying to get the most eyeballs on it. Is fairness at the top of your game, or is TV matchups at the top of your game? And I wouldn't fault them for make for putting TV matchups at the top of their game. No. I, you know, you're you're trying to drum up money, and it's you get to participate, um, but we're putting you into a draw based geographically so that you don't play teams from your own. I never really had a problem with the, with the draw. We're putting you in a draw based so that you don't get teams in your own region. The one problem I had was that CONCACAF was always with um, Asia. So they can never get drawn an Asian team. I thought they should have mixed that up between the smaller confederations like CONCACAF, Africa, and Asia, you know, alternated a bit, but yeah, you're you're putting you're putting on a spectacle that you want the world to watch. You want to figure out a way to get the best groups out of there, and if if that means ranking the teams pot one to four, then do it. But if it means ranking the teams geographically, if that's going to give you better games, then do that. And maybe maybe if you took the 2014 field and ranked them pot one to four you would have gotten good matchups and it would have worked really well. And maybe it's just because some of the teams that you wanted and expected to be there are not there. Maybe that plays into it, but God, most of these groups just look disgusting. Yeah. How do you feel about the uh, <laughs> somewhat early start times for some of these games? What, what are they? I thought they started at like 7. 6 a.m. Eastern, France, Australia on Saturday. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, well, it's... you know what? It's June. It's June. My apartment gets too hot for me to sleep much later than six, so I'll be awake. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. There you go. Let's this do a silver lining. Yeah. Let's do our final thoughts here. Uh, Elliot, you can start us off. Well, I don't know if you guys saw this news, but it is uh, official that U.S. Soccer Federation President Sunil Gulati will not stand for re-election. Yes. Uh, if I would have week. one of those applaud applause buttons right now, I would press it. Yeah. Well, I mean, likewise. But the thing is that he, it, he, it's so clearly him getting forced out by other people in the way that it, if you read the things he says, he's first of all he's quick to say says quote I spent a lot of time thinking about it and talking about it with people in many different positions, many of whom told me I should run. But in the end, I think the best thing for me personally and for the Federation is to see someone new in the job. It's like, okay, well, that's pretty even-handed. You're still making a point of saying that, okay, some people still want me. But then this is what I think is the most telling quote. is where he says, the loss to Trinidad was painful, regrettable, and led to a lot of strong emotions. And to be honest, I think at this point, that's overshadowed a lot of other things that are important. So... 
fair or not, I accept that and think it's time for a new person. But he he did not want to leave this job. But he has been hanging on and been told from numerous different people, hope, whoever they are, anonymous as they remain, thank God for them. Because Sunil Gulati should not stand for re-election. And U.S. Soccer Federation may not, you know, have a meteoric rise in his absence, but they're certainly better off than his continued presence. I mean, he he should have just said, I quit as soon as it was clear that the U.S. wouldn't qualify. Well, exactly. But And the fact that he didn't is what makes it obvious to me that, you know, there, there are other forces at play here. There are other people telling him, look, you're not getting reelected. If you are getting reelected, it's going to be a PR nightmare for us unless we just absolutely dominate. It's bad for everybody else involved. There's something the called. Out of here. There's something called an ego. Yeah. <laughs> and he has Egos a big one. in professional sports? No, never. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, it will it will be nice to see a change here. We'll we'll see who takes over, but yeah. I mean, that's. Another part of me is sad too that we never got to see, you know, Jurgen Klinsmann get a fair shake at his whole restructure from the ground up of the system in the U.S. too. So, it is what it is. It is what it is. Paulie, do you have something for us? Yeah, and it's exactly on that. Jurgen Klinsmann linked to the Australia job. Um, now, I do. From what I understand, he reached out to them and pretty much he pretty much called them and said, "Hey, I'm interested in managing you." I don't think it was the other way around. So I'm buying the whole uh, he'll be managing them at the World Cup thing for a second. But, oh, boy, would I laugh so hard if Jurgen Klinsmann is at this World Cup and the U.S. is not. I mean, do you think who else should they get, though? Isn't that a pretty good get for Australia, though? No, not no? in the short term. <laughs> not in the short term. What's he, he, he there to do? Like, just manage him in the World Cup? No. Jurgen Klinsmann did not come to the United States to manage the senior team. He came to revamp U.S. soccer. Um, he's, if you want a guy to manage your team in games, you're going to hire guy. Okay, so they should call Sven. That's what you're saying. And that's coming from one of the biggest Quinsman defenders that this country has. Okay, so Australia, call Sven, okay? He's, he's available. He's available. <laughs> Seriously. Yes. Uh, I call saw that. Or, or uh, you know who else is available? Louis van Gaal. Yeah, that's true. I saw this lovely quote from Peter Crouch, who hopes he has proved that he can be a regular starter for Stoke at the age of 36. <laughs> He's played well coming off the bench here. They, he got a new one-year contract last week. Things are going well for the Crouch master. And he feels like, uh, I've always felt like I'd, I could still start games, and hopefully I've proved that. It would be nice to have a little run now and stay in the team. That's what I wanted, and signing the contract was where I wanted to be as well. I mean, you gotta love him. 36, he looks like he's 80 already. <laughs> and somehow he still can play in the Premier League. Also, if you guys realize, I, maybe we've touched on this previously, but it's been a minute, how uncannily similar he and Nacho Monreal look. It is, it's almost terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I like Nacho? Know. No, look, look at their photos side by side. Seriously, okay. because Nacho Monreal is the shorter, less gangly Spanish Peter Crouch. Oh and wow! Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, 
It's strange. It's also, very strange. Montreal, uh, not Montreal, Toronto and, and Seattle playing in the finals of the, of the MLS Cup and people saying, oh, this, this can't be worse than last year. Like, no, last year was one of the worst soccer games I've ever seen in my life. And oh, I don't know. Like, I guess it can't be worse, but it, it could be equally as bad. But, I mean, at least credit to Michael Bradley and Josie Altador for at least playing in a country where the fans still like them. Yes, that's true. <laughs> there you go. Well, with that, we're going to say goodbye. As always, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Paulie is P. Christel. Elliot is Keats was better. Give FanDrag Sports a follow as well. And uh, we'll talk to you again later in the week. Until then, have a good one. Bye.